0: Welcome to the Mobile Arcade Club, a podcast about playing and discussing cool mobile games together, especially those featured on Apple Arcade. By listening, you're now an honorary arcade friend, so we think you're pretty great. He's Chris, and I'm Stephen. This episode, we look at the new subscription service Game Club, and our club games for the episode, Card of Darkness, Down in Bermuda, and Pinball Wizard. G'day, arcade
1: friends! Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Mobile Arcade Club. So today we've got yet another exciting episode of uh, plenty cool things to discuss with you. First of which is about game preservation. Which, when you hear that uh, hear that sort of phrase uttered, it doesn't sound doesn't sound all that sexy does it steven it's
0: it's a very sort of sounds a bit like a museum sort of thing doesn't it i mean you're clearly a different person with different tastes than me but i find it inc- incredibly attractive and endearing just preserve all the games for all time i it's just yeah gets me going well <laughs> perhaps uh, perhaps
1: we've uh, got an audience that's right into it as well but it's it's increasingly becoming a, a big issue in terms of preserving all older games and games that were made for previous software iterations and that sort of thing because a little while ago there was what was dubbed by many media outlets as the app apocalypse i think it was referred to <laughs> sounds about right where there was uh, i can't remember the exact ios update but it essentially made a lot of older games completely obsolete and unplayable on uh, any device running that software
0: and above, I think it was what thirty two bit games yeah anything yeah. built for thirty two bit phones just was no longer playable after a certain point, which yeah left a whole lot of them just anything that hadn 't been updated in recent times was just left to to wither be unplayable unless you happen to have i don 't know a phone that's was a thirty two bit phone, so you have to keep an old device around and not many people do that with phones these days, yeah, which
1: unfortunately that means a lot of games that released some years ago and were really really good and really popular but unfortunately a lot of people who make these games are quite uh, you know they're quite light on resources and don't have the uh, the money or the the manpower to be able to update these games and bring them to sixty four bit or you know there's no real reason to update them for them because they've already made their money and have moved on to other things. However, there's a new service that's looking to make a lot of these older games playable on current devices, which is quite exciting. And Stephen, I know you're right around this, so
0: do tell. Yeah, gosh, so I was super excited when I saw a word of this happening. It's something called Game Club, and from memory it's been headed up by the ex editor of touch arcade uh, Eli Hodap, who's someone I listened to on podcasts years ago, and I was yeah super thankful someone was paying attention to mobile gaming and he was sort of heading up that whole endeavor but yeah, him along with I assume a large team of people have yeah set up this subscription service which has sort of two benefits: it's a way to encourage uh well they've worked with developers of older games to give them the funding and the means to update them for modern modern phones so that means you know making them both work on modern phones and sometimes reworking them a little bit for new screen sizes and stuff. Because we're talking games as old as far back as say like pre dis- retina displays, so iPhone 3GS and things like that. You can't, you just wouldn't, you couldn't just straight port those to the new phones. It would yeah. look a little bit crappy, for want of a better word. Um, But yeah, so it's a subscription to help more and more of those games come back to being playable on modern systems. Uh, But as well as that, if you did buy any of the games that are on the service, uh, you don't necessarily have to subscribe if you've bought them previously. It just updates the the same app store listing that they used previously. And so you can just download them, play them. And I think that's an incredibly good... uh, goodwill sort of uh gesture there I've, it's nice you know not that i would expect you know i threw two or three dollars at a game 10 years ago how dare they not let me play it again for free now but like it's really nice that they did that and so it's meant that i've been able to download a whole bunch of games like uh there was some there was one called hook worlds uh minigore was one that i spent a lot of time in back in the day sort of an early twin stick shooter for the platform and yeah, it's just let me rediscover all these games that I just put hours and hours into so long ago that I almost had forgotten existed and suddenly they're all back again. It's really cool. That's uh, That last point in particular that you make is one
1: thing that I find a very attractive proposition in terms of... You know, there are so many subscription services, and of course, we're, we're doing this mainly to focus on Apple Arcade, and then we're bringing up another subscription service for, <laughs> for mobile users saying, hey, Game Club is a thing, and that's really cool as well, but I think the, the big selling factor there is that, as you say, if you'd previously purchased some of these older games, then you don't necessarily need to... Resubscribe or subscribe to their service to access them, which that's that's really really cool, and perhaps uh, perhaps there may be a big subsection of people who, out of you know the goodwill of being able to access these games that they've paid for previously without subscribing, then perhaps. know they or perhaps you'll find the uh you know the compulsion to subscribe and play some of these other older games that you may not have had the chance to play because they've
0: been rendered incompatible since which that's that's a pretty cool thing yeah totally i think um yeah i i haven't resubscribed because i'm you know i'm on apple arcade and i don't have that much time in my life for another subscription service for mobile games but yeah that's why i'm so glad that i didn't have to pay for games i already had in the past but i do appreciate that it differentiates itself from apple arcade in that it's mostly about reviving old games rather than you know creating new games for a a new service it's it makes a a case for itself not as just another apple arcade style service but it is its Mm. own thing
1: Yes, certainly. So that Game Club, if you want to go suss that one out, uh, that'll be on online for you to search and figure out whether that's your thing. So let's jump into this episode's Club Games, let's. starting off with the Pinball Wizard from Frosty Pop Games. Now, we both had a, a really good time with Pinball Wizard. I think uh, we were chatting about this off air and both saying about how you know, how hooked we were and how compelling we felt to play just, you know, just
0: a bit more, just one more go. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It gets its hooks in you real good. I remember you describing it in our very first pilot episode and it sounded like a really interesting concept to me, which is why I, you know, petitioned for us to have it on the list for this mm. episode, but man, you it was as good as you made it sound. It's just something that you want to keep on playing, you'll die. And it has that sort of, you know, one more go aspect to it. It's yeah. I, I loved it to bits. I couldn't stop playing it.
1: Yeah, and with with good reason. So, for those who haven't played Pinball Wizard yet, or the Pinball Wizard rather, uh, is it's essentially. Pinball, but with a wizard, yeah, with, with a wizard, yes. <laughs> uh, so, to, to use sort of you know, gaming genres, which I think with all these mashups happening, a lot of these are becoming sort of redundant. But to, <laughs> to go down that path, this is sort of pinball mashed up with you know, like a role playing game with like you know, statistics and bonuses that you can upgrade in, uh, mixed with some rogue light elements. So, for those who listen to the, the bonus episode where we were uh, talking about Void Tyrant is that the good thing here with the pinball wizard is that every time you play you're always making progression you're always earning little in-game currency or you're always earning experience points which levels up your little wizard so then you can upgrade in further abilities to augment your wizard or you know progress further up this tower that you're uh, traveling in you know just you know trying to make that a little bit easier each time or not necessarily make it easier each time, but making yourself a little bit more
0: powerful to rise to the challenge. Yeah, you might, you know, say, get new abilities. That You have a whole range of choices of abilities that you can get after you. You play through enough, you get some experience by killing things and progressing up the tower. And then you can choose where to spend those at the end of a run. Or not spend them if you want to save for something big. But, um, yeah, you can do stuff like uh, stopping your character. You, your character essentially runs around a, a pinball board in the much much the same way as a pinball would, and it's kind of funny to watch just a little person running around as they've been hit around by pinball paddles. It's very fun. Mm. Um, but, yeah, you can do things such as sort of stopping them in place and a little arrow will appear on them spinning around and you let go and you're, you will launch in that particular direction so you can have a bit more of an influence on where your character's going and they're less at the the mercy of the table so to say sort of sort of the the actually legal way of tilting the pinball machine yeah, pretty much
1: of, instead of bumping it in real life and then what is it two or three times and then the machine will There's automatically shut bah, down bah. yeah so so yeah so in uh it, it does sort of augment the experience and sort of letting you change direction sort of mid table without having
0: to rely on you know the wizard running back down to the paddle or, or that yeah, sort of yeah and i found that one specifically a godsend because i'm not very good at traditional pinball i was talking before uh off air that my my pinball experience is basically from that pinball game in windows and pokemon pinball i'm not really oh i hear you i haven't had much physical pinball experience so yeah all the I, all the techniques people seem to use i they're just beyond my my recognition and ability, so I'm very glad that you can do all these fun magical things to give you a bit more influence on how the game goes. Yes, yeah,
1: certainly, and I think you know some of the other uh, abilities, like the 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 guard or the barrier that um, you know s- uh, starts up between the paddles, which means you get a, a few seconds of reprieve uh, until the the wizard can actually fall down the the hole or whatever the official term is. The pinball and hole. The pinball hole, yes. <laughs> uh, so, you know, when you fall through that, the wizard will fall off the tower, take a big chunk of damage, mm. uh, but then work his way back up to the same floor that you were on unless you run out of health, in which case that ends the run. Um, but So you can upgrade things such as the amount of time that that barrier stays there. So I think uh, it's base sort of level is around about four or five seconds so you can invest uh, upgrade uh, points mm-hmm. or currency into you know uh, it'll stay up for an extra second or two or further beyond that to give you a little bit more luxury at your at the start of each um each attempt and then uh, as we've discussed there's an ability that lets you sort of change direction mid table and there's another one where the wizard will conjure up what actually looks like a real pinball, mm. uh, which can be used as a secondary projectile to, to hit enemies or to interact with the environment, and we were saying just before that the the environment is heavily interactive, like yes. a, real, a real pinball table to you know conjure up more currency more money more gems and more you know little little little
0: easter egg sort of things and yeah stuff that that you don't you don't necessarily need to progress so we should probably mention to actually progress through each of the table levels there'll be a whole bunch of enemies on the board and you'll one of them will have a key inside you never Mm. know which one and it'll be different every time but when you defeat that monster a key will come out then you have to collect the key it'll unlock the door then you have to sort of get yourself through that door somehow and that's how you get to the next level. But having all of these little extra interactive things or optional enemies and things just gives you a lot more to do if you're, I don't know, just want to do a little bit more than the bare bin- bare minimum. You get rewarded with currency and experience and you get more upgrades for your next run through. It's I like that it has that rogue light element. There's mm. like traditional 100% rogue is like you start as though you've never played the game before and your skill is the only thing that will come with you through playthroughs. But I appreciate that this had the progression of both actual character in-game progression giving you more abilities as you play because that gives you more ways. You can learn how to play As at the same time that you're learning more ways to play. Mm. Um, but as well as that, I did feel myself getting better at playing the game just through the basic mechanics as well just because you play it so much. It's so... Uh, so engaging that i kept going back in and finding myself oh i can you know keep hold the wizard on the paddle for a little bit so i can get a bit more of a controlled uh, you know launch for for example it's yeah it's got a really really good combination of you getting better through getting better at the game Mm. as well as having more resilience to you know to to attacks and things like that yeah, certainly. I definitely found myself uh, spending some of
1: those uh, those points <laughs> upgrading my health or, mm-hmm. you know, upgrading, uh, you know, or reducing the amount of damage that I would take because... Uh, oh yeah. gosh, falling from the tower is killer. The higher yes. you get, the more you get hurt. And that hurts real bad once you get high enough. <laughs> yes, yes. So much like real life, if you fall over a <laughs> tower, it's going to hurt. Yes. Um, not speaking from experience, but I just... Uh, you know, Don't recommend it. Yeah, yeah. Oh... <laughs> I think yeah, we'll we'll leave that there. But I think the the other nifty thing in regards to progression is that the uh, the checkpoints you come across after oh, yes. after so many floors or so many tables that you clear. So I think the first one is after the sixth floor that'll be a checkpoint. So then if you fail or end a run, then you'll be able to start from the sixth floor onwards, mm. and there are uh, you know procedurally. Uh, more checkpoints that open up the further you go yeah and it does get more difficult the further you go however it is nice to be able to sort of reach a particular point of the tower and you can start from that point and forego
0: you know some of the sort of lighter more introductory uh, areas to start off with yeah especially if you feel that you've not mastered because i won't say i've mastered any part of this game but i feel like i've got the hang of those first five floors for example and i'm not really gaining much by going through them every time beyond it just taking longer to get to a part where i actually want to try a new thing Mm. so it was nice to be able to skip there but it's also nice that you can go back to the very start so i did that once or twice just as a i know i can do this easily and it will net me a lot of experience by the time i get to the top and then i'll you know, have more tools and things to play with when I do start from floor, say, 11 the next time along.
1: Yeah, yeah, certainly. So that, that for me, was a, a big, big highlight uh, in addition to, as we were saying earlier, the character progression and the ability progression is that there's, yeah, very tangible progression up the tower itself and being able to start from, you know, different points once you've actually worked to unlock, you know, a particular checkpoint or a particular floor. So, mm. yeah, I and another thing and this this is the thing that I I'll, I'll end on for the pinball wizard is yeah. the the controls they they feel oh. extremely intuitive they, yes. they feel very smart very simple and you know like uh, on a, a real ta- uh, table a real pinball machine is well, you... it's a pinball table well, it's, so it's a pinball table. yeah yeah <laughs> so you you'd have the buttons on the side whereas with the phone the the bottom left and the bottom right hand corners on the phone held in landscape mode those you just tap those and the flippers you know they it feels pretty one-to-one in yeah. terms of a you know, there's no input lag or anything and then to use abilities they'll have sort of on-screen buttons that are very you know they're well designed and they're non-obstructive so you just sort of move your thumbs up and press on on those buttons to activate one of those abilities and then just you know slide your thumbs back down to the the bottom of the phone
0: and i found it worked really well yeah absolutely this is one i actually did try to play on mac for just to see how it would go really and the paddles are easy it's sort of the shift keys on either side of the keyboard but when you're getting to the individual powers they were all mapped to a specific key on the Mm. keyboard and there's a lot of keys on the keyboard. It's real. I found it a lot harder to pinpoint what I wanted to do on the keyboard versus, you know, just on a phone. There's only so many places you can tap. It's fairly simple. Although, gosh, it looks really, really pretty on a big screen. So, I don't know, maybe hook up a controller to a Mac or I, I imagine it's on Apple TV. So that might be worthwhile giving it a look because I don't know. It, it's simple aesthetic, it's a super cute aesthetic. I love yes. how this game looks. And for that reason, it can look very pretty on. Not necessarily high end hardware, I guess. So, you know, stuff like phones and Apple TVs and mm. stuff. So, yeah, it's real pretty. Give it, a, give it a look on a big screen if you have access to something like that. Oh, and most importantly, did you see the Easter egg where you can equip a beard on your wizard? No. I think
1: on the <laughs> on the starting screen, if you tap on the wizard, yeah. it'll equip a beard. Oh, my God. It'll, it'll suddenly just, you know, grow, grow a beard. So, <laughs> you know, you can, there's even very light customization. You know? Wow, thank you. Thank you. I, I want to do this. Yeah. So, uh, so folks, that's The Pinball Wizard by Frosty Pop Games. So, go and get your beard on. Go and get your pinball on. So, yes. <laughs> we we both very highly recommend The Pinball Wizard. So, definitely suss that one out. So, the next one is Card of Darkness,
0: which is a big collaborative project between some pretty notable names, Stephen. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Zach Gage, who is you know pretty well known in the mobile game scene for, I think... I hope I'm getting the right guy, but I think he did... There was a really simple solitaire or something like that. He's done a lot of mobile adaptions of traditional games that are a little bit, I don't know, weird, but in a cool way i'm Mm. describing that horribly but uh, i think that's the guy who i'm thinking of i hope i haven't got a case of mistaken identity i think on
1: his website he describes uh, himself as uh, being really into abstract art as
0: well so that does sound that does sound pretty on the money and of course there was pendleton ward as well who is you know the creator of venture time and Gosh, you sure know that when you get into the opening like menu screen or title screen of this game. If if you told me that this was an Adventure Time game minus the characters, I would believe you. It looks, it's got such that aesthetic in it, mm, very whimsical. Yes, yes absolutely. And, um, and also, uh, the collaboration
1: also involves uh, Choice Provisions, uh, who I'm not as familiar with with their work, but uh, yeah. So Zach Gage, Pendleton Ward, and Choice Provisions are the ones behind Card of Darkness. So it's quite an interesting game in terms of the way it the way you play is you enter each uh, each level and it's it's generated differently each time other than the fact that each level will include a specific subset of enemies mm. or a specific uh, number of floors to navigate so it's a bit of a bit of a card dungeon crawler in 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 some sort of respects
0: yeah especially in the as you progress onto it's on a four by four grid and mm. as you progress to new uh spots on the grid you will uncover things nearby so it, yeah that sort of dungeon crawler gradual uncovering of a dungeon is a yeah, pretty apt comparison
1: yeah so the the way it's it's almost
0: very difficult to describe without sort of the
1: visuals to complement it but essentially on this four by four grid of varying stacks of cards which have different amounts so some stacks might be four cards high some might be two some might be three it it, might be one yeah it it totally varies but essentially you start off with a uh, a small set of cards in front of you Uh, at the bottom of the screen, that are uncovered. So it may include equipment such as a sword or a dagger, which has a number associated with it, Mm -hmm. which indicates that's how much damage it will do. Uh, And then there's uh, items such as health potions, which upon picking them up will uh, restore a set amount of health that you may have lost due to taking damage from an enemy. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, there are the enemies themselves, which they... They are quite varied in terms of what they do and how they do damage or how they disrupt your your run from the bottom of the screen through to the top of the screen. So essentially, you've got to, you've got to clear the cards in your way mm. from the bottom to the top of the screen in order for you to progress through to the next floor of you know, a new set of 4x4 four four grid of cards or to the end of the dungeon, depending on how many floors there are in the dungeon. But it's, it's really, really tricky and really throws you off to start off with because if you, if you take a card from a stack of cards, you have to finish that stack. Yes, you that can't is. just take one card and move on. You have to finish that stack. However, all you have to do is just clear a path to the top of the screen to the end where the stairs are. So you don't have to interact with all stacks. But if you take one card from a
0: stack, you've got to finish it, and that's where it becomes tricky. Yeah, that's really tripped me up to begin with. It didn't. It didn't really communicate that. It, it does eventually. At a certain point, it'll say it, all the stacks with a sort of shining uh, little indicator underneath are ones that you've taken a card off and therefore need to finish. But yeah, it took me a while to realise that you probably want to take to start as few stacks as possible so mm. that you have less to clean up afterwards. Mm. There's so many factors to take into account with every move, because each of the enemy characters will um they'll sort of react to your attacks in a different way. Some will move to an adjacent block, some will uh gosh, I can't remember what else any of them do, but they'll all some of them will ch- have different forms underneath as you beat each mm. one, so it'll give you some health, but then you also have to defeat the thing underneath it, which will probably in most cases take more damage or to do more damage to you than it healed to begin with mm. and then there's the fact that your the weapon that you have you need to pay attention as to whether the damage it does is even or odd yes. because if you have say a weapon that does an even number of damage and you attack a an enemy that has an odd number of health it will do that damage but it will break the weapon yes whereas if it's the same even even odd odd it'll do the damage and will defeat you'll keep the weapon And yeah, you have to really make a lot of choices as to. I found myself needing to take some damage. You've got a certain buffer of health, Mm. and sometimes you just have to take that damage because there's either no no choice around it, or you know it's the best thing to do, knowing you'll be able to heal it later, or you'll have just enough to make it through to the end. There are just so many moving parts to this system that it almost becomes a little overwhelming at some points. But it's I don't know when when you do get your head around all of it, it's quite satisfying. I found.
1: Yeah, and I, I appreciate the way that Card of Darkness is designed and it is it is very cleverly designed and very beautifully designed at that, especially Truly. with the the aesthetic and the um yeah, it's it's very vibrant and full of colour and, and, and all of that. But I did find it incredibly frustrating at times and I found because sometimes you are at the mercy of the random nature of the, the cards that are dealt, uh I found some yeah, some occasions I found really difficult, almost to the point of being insurmountable, and I thought I've just got to abandon this run and start again. Uh, but yeah, especially when I I'd progressed through a level quite far, like I'd you know got two floors through a, a three-floor level, mm. and I found myself I'd taken a fair bit of damage. I had a weapon, and I saw I'm gonna I'm gonna need this health potion that restores six amount of health. So I pick that up and all of a sudden there's a, a, an enemy right underneath that does 12 points of damage and I think, oh well, crap, I've got, no, to cle- I've, got, with this. I've got to clear this stack now. So it's as you say, if you can deal with as few stacks of cards as possible, that's the way to to really play this game. And I think there's an element of me sort of understanding how the game works but also not quite playing to the way that the game wanted me to play that caused a bit of frustration and a bit of Uh,
0: incongruence with sort of my enjoyment of card of darkness yeah definitely it um yeah it's very easy to dig yourself into a hole and every action you do to try and get out of that hole often digs you deeper it's sort of once you get off off the good track it's sometimes you're just lost and it's not worth bothering it's Mm. yeah so easy to get yourself into that the bad place. <laughs> yes, and I think it's worth mentioning that there are
1: some uh, some components of Card of Darkness to deal with outside of the levels as well. In terms of the, uh, you pick up what are referred to as Cards of Darkness, which are essentially equipable cards that you can swap in and out between levels freely, as long as you've got the the slots available, which you gain more of as you progress, mm-hmm. uh, and they will modify your character or the particular types of cards that you are dealt in different ways. For example, uh, you may equip a card of darkness that increases your amount of health, which gives you a little bit more of a buffer against damage. Or another card of darkness may increase the effectiveness or increase the damage dealt by a particular type of weapon card whenever you are dealt that particular type of card. And then you can also gain coins or gold or whatever the currency is called to purchase other modifiers at this little inn. Which mm. I was saying off air just before that, uh, it actually I, I like the the charming setting of of Card of Darkness, and it reminds me of the the sort of tabletop RPG sort of satire RPG Munchkin, mm. where it sort of sort of takes the piss. Of the RPG genre and a lot of the conventions of the genre,
0: but in a nice sort of way, not yeah. not in not in punching down or saying, "Oh, how silly's RPGs." It's like yeah. we're doing it, but let's let's acknowledge the silliness of what this is because a lot of RPGs will ask you to, you know, suspend disbelief and this in a little way, kind of like, yeah, we'll suspend disbelief, but isn't this a little bit silly? Yeah, so I think. Card of Darkness is certainly an acquired taste. It's not really
1: mine, but I'm certainly glad, Stephen, that you had a really good time with this. Hmm. And I think I think we're on track for a, a bit of a longer episode this time because be. <laughs> we're, we're nearly at the usual half-hour mark and we're only just getting on to our final game, which is Down in Bermuda by Yak & Co., an Australian uh, duo uh, based in Melbourne. And uh, this one I really enjoyed... Whereas this one,
0: you sort of appreciated elements of it, but sort of a role reversal of Card of Darkness here, I think. A little bit, yeah. I do appreciate the way, the way the game works and how sort of the freedom it gives you to play, which we'll get into a little bit further in a moment. But yeah, it didn't. I, I generally prefer games that have a bit more of a, I don't know, a more defined direction of what i'm trying to do and this is more of a here's a bunch of fun things to play with that you will eventually have you'll unlock stuff or make progress but it didn't grab me as much as the other two games but yeah as you say i totally appreciate what they do for people who want that i guess (laughs) yeah of course so down in
1: bermuda is essentially a a puzzle game and you play as an aviator whose plane crash-landed on an island. He was and, down in Bermuda, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah funnily enough. <laughs> um, and this aviator, they've been stranded on this island for, I think, there's a time skip of 30 years, and all yes. of a sudden they're sporting a, you know, Nice white beard and... You know, they, they still There's seem... no
0: razor blades on in Bermuda, apparently.
1: No, no. So, which, I mean, I think has worked out in this dude's favour. I think he yeah. rocks the beard, so... Does well.
0: But, yeah, and so
1: essentially he um, he then starts realising... Uh, and I'm not sure why it's taken him 30 years to realise this, but <laughs> he starts realising that he can uh, manipulate elements of each of these islands around him to... Progress further off off these islands through a magical portal because why not? Of course, and um, it's Bermuda. Anything can happen. Yeah, yeah. I've not been myself, so I can only assume this is historically <laughs> true. Absolutely. So, essentially, some of these these interactions and puzzles include um, playing with uh, old ruins and various uh, buildings and structures that have all these different uh, mechanical sort of elements to them such as various switches and buttons and things that can be pressed and pushed and pulled and rotated and manipulated and there's a lot of uh, a lot of puzzle elements to the way that um that this has played, which shouldn't be any surprise because Yak and Co are quite well-versed in the puzzle scene considering they also created Agent A, A Puzzle in Disguise, which is an episodic series that's also on mobile and other platforms and that also included a lot of really, really clever puzzles. So I think a lot of that has translated into Down in Bermuda. Mm. However, this one, instead of being a a strict sort of point-and-click adventure this you sort of presented each island in this really lovely and colorful and vibrant and you know really cute um, cutely designed dioramas yes, that you yeah. can sort of pinch and uh, press and rotate sort and poke of and your, and... yeah, you can rotate the island and get different perspectives which you, you need to do to uncover you know solutions to these puzzles, so all of these puzzles are really well designed and really clever and are really well-designed to encourage uh, experimentation and exploration. Mm. So I really appreciate sort of the variety of a lot of the
0: puzzles that are introduced. Yeah, I did quite like, I I think I'd describe it as it's kind of like a fidget cube with an objective in a way. It's sort of yeah. got a similar sort of, you just want to play with the buttons, move the switches, poke the things and see... What satisfying sounds or movements, if I press this button in this order, what happens over here? Mm. And yeah, it sort of leads into the puzzle design, which I did quite like. It's It doesn't really give you much in the way of direction. It's just mm. mostly play with this, see what happens, and then use, I don't know, just use your play and the the results of that to work out what you might need to do next. It was very a natural progression of how you actually get through each puzzle. It was very well structured in that way. Yeah, so the, the way that it is structured actually is,
1: so to progress through these portals through to other islands, you need to collect the corresponding amount of orbs to power the portal to be able to take you to the next island. So then you come across these You know, magic orbs by completing several puzzles and finding solutions to you know opening up an old crypt or old set of ruins or assisting a a character that you encounter on an island by helping them navigate a a maze or some sort of a labyrinth of various rooms that they need help in navigating. Mm. Um, And the, the the only the only real puzzle or sort of element of obtaining these orbs that I actively didn't enjoy were the ones that involved hunting for these little shiny sort of specks. I'm not sure what they're called, but these really... I mean, you can zoom in and sort of see things in greater detail and clarity and things larger, but this particular method it just felt like it was a, a bit of pixel hunting yes um, and there's there's a, a particular thing that you need to interact with and press a button once you've collected all these little shiny bits which will then light up in accordance with how many you 've collected and will indicate you know how many you still have to collect, mm. and when you got to the last couple, or especially the last one, and you haven 't found where it is and you 've got it, no indication of where it might be either yeah, it sort of feels like a bit a bit of pixel hunting, so then you start tapping on everything frantically backtracking and it 's a bit a bit frustrating because they they are they are quite small and easy to. Easy to miss. Yeah. So, what, and, and this is another thing that we were discussing earlier is one solution to bypassing this I would like is that, say, for example, if an island had three or four orbs uh, to power up the portal. I would like uh, the the requirement to power that portal to move on to be one less than mm. the amount of orbs available on each island. So if you wanted to bypass that particular type of puzzle, or if a particular puzzle is making you you know tear your hair out, mm. then you can focus on the other areas and still progress.
0: Yeah, especially for this game, it feels... I think you described it to me as like a warm hug. It's just very... It's a very pleasant, very wholesome, very uh, mm. very nice environment to be in. But like low stress; it's all good, until we get to that last one or two orbs where, as you say, you're tearing your hair out. It's just, I, I need to find this, otherwise I can't keep playing because I can't progress, and it just gets frustrating. Which is really, yeah, diametrically opposite to the mood that you've had up until that point. And I feel yeah. the mood that they're trying to actually present for the whole game and yeah i think it would be nice if you if the requirements were a little looser and you could still have that 100 percent there as a completionist sort of thing mm. but for me i i find my threshold for frustration with mobile games to be quite low because i often play them in uh not si- i'm not sitting down for multiple hours at a time or i don't intend to i did with the pinball wizard but that's <laughs> an exception um but yeah it's a uh, if I find myself getting frustrated, there's so many other things to do on my phone that I find myself more easily able to jump out of the game. And I did that with this game. And yes, I didn't find it had the longevity that it might have if it wasn't quite so stringent on what you needed to progress.
1: Sure, sure. And I totally understand that. And I, fortunately for me, I you know, I really enjoyed Every aspect of this game, other than that one particular type of sort of puzzle, uh, or more of a more of a sort of a hide and seek sort of you know treasure hunt sort of thing, um, but I as as you said that I said when. Um, <laughs> Within the first half hour of playing down in Bermuda, I made a note, uh, you know, in preparation for for recording the show, that yeah, playing down in Bermuda, just the the combination of the music and just these beautifully colourful you know visuals and you know this really wholesome you know and you know often quirky and funny sort of aesthetic that they present. It, yeah, it is really cute, really lovely and pleasant to play. And yeah, it did feel like, you know, all warm and tingly, like, you know, getting a hug. So yeah. I really did enjoy Down in Bermuda um, so much that I would probably say it's the one I enjoyed the most out of uh, this, uh, you know, this episode's allotment of games. Um, and one, one other thing I did want to mention about Down in Bermuda is I feel perhaps more so than... Any other game that we've played for the mobile arcade club so far. Mm. Down in Bermuda, I think, is one of the best ones that we've covered that from a family friendly perspective. In terms of I, I think this is a great game to play. You know, uh, as a, as a family, you know, especially if we're playing it on a TV, we can point mm. out solutions and that sort of thing. But even just you know, sitting down with uh, you know, with a youngin and uh, everyone can crowd around the iPad. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's you know, really, really wholesome and really lovely. And I think I think kids would really enjoy how tactile everything yes. is
0: is in this game. Yeah, the it, entire yeah. interactions are all very intuitive. It's just like, that looks like a button. You can press the button. That looks like something you can slide. You can slide it. It's all, yeah, intuitive. It's it. Mm. You don't need to explain how to play this game because it looks like... It, it tells you how to play it by looking at it, really. Or you, you so wonderfully
1: described it uh, earlier as... Uh, reminding you of some of the the feelings generated from the the old humongous entertainment games on PC like Freddy Fish, Spy Fox, Pyjama Sam, all those games because even if something, a a background object... Contributed nothing to the story or progression or solving a puzzle. If you clicked on it, there was every chance that it would interact in some way, or mm. make a funny noise, or animate in a particularly satisfying way. And Down in Bermuda really scratches at it quite well in in a way that I think would be great for for young players because you know if you, you tap on something like clap uh, clap, <laughs> if you tap on a clam, um, if you tap on a clam or something uh, in in an undersea sort of area. You know, it'll vibrate and open up, and there may be something inside. Or, you know, if you tap on something, even if it's not important, it will it will sort of react in a tangible way, which is mm. is really satisfying, even for a twenty something year old.
0: <laughs> yeah, it just feels like you have a good a presence in this world. It feels like a, a world that no, reacts to you existing and to you interacting with it. And every time you try, oh, I'll touch this thing, it does something, even if it's not important. It's just a nice acknowledgement of your existence i guess which is nice for anyone regardless of age (laughs)
1: yeah so i think that just about sums up uh, down in bermuda so that's from the the duo the nice fellas from yak and co so that brings this episode of the mobile arcade club to a conclusion which of course of course that means that uh, we've got to reveal what we'll be playing over the next couple of weeks for next episode so stephen
0: yeah, well, one the first one you recommended, and just purely by how you described it, I'm very excited. It's called Tangle Tower by SFB Games, a detective adventure game described as Phoenix Wright meets Professor Layton. Oh, give me that. Yeah, uh, if you've played either of those, that's I don't know how they'll go together, but I'm keen to find out. And made by the same people who made Snipperclips on Switch. Oh, well, there you go. So that's i don't know how that would go together either that's a very it's a, a genre apart but that yeah. should be good fun um but yeah as well as that big time sports which is from frosty pop who also did pinball wizard from yeah. earlier on uh that just looks like a ridiculous uh track and field but extremely goofy looking sports mobile game so that mm. should be fun uh and bleak sword which looks like a very bleak haha like uh you know set of dioramas with an old sort of pixel art uh aesthetic but uh you know, dark fantasy it looks very very interesting visually i haven't played it at all but i'm keen to give that a look yeah and that one's from more 8-bit and
1: devolver digital so look forward to those three and if you have any thoughts on any of the games that we've covered today or any of Uh, any of the games that we will be covering then yeah please let us know on social media or you know get in touch with us you know via smoke signals or morse code however else Mm. you want to communicate go for it chat about the games on the subreddit maybe i don't know do whatever however you want to talk about stuff yeah yeah we chill out on the uh the uh uh, apple arcade subreddit so definitely suss that one out and uh yeah thank you very much for joining us once again for episode four of the mobile arcade club Hey Arcade Friends, thanks for listening to the Mobile Arcade Club. If you enjoyed our shenanigans, please consider subscribing, leaving a review on your platform of choice, and sharing the podcast with your friends. Also, you can follow Mobile Arcade Club on Twitter, at mArcadeClub, where we'll keep you updated on what we're up to. Make sure to play along and send us your thoughts, questions, and feedback, especially those relating to how Stephen is such a nice young man. See you next episode.